This afternoon, tonight I will be talking about metta, and the talk is entitled "Living in the Shade of Metta." I will start with a quote from a Buddha, from the Buddha. He said, "Better than offering 100 pots of rice is the practice of metta for one moment." So this statement of the Buddha shows very clearly how effective and greatly beneficial the practice of metta is. Metta is the Pali word for loving kindness, or other possible translations are friendliness, goodwill, benevolence, or universal love. The quality of metta is spreading goodwill and benevolence and the wish for every sentient being to be happy and well. Sometimes metta is also translated as love, but love, with this word, we have to be a bit careful because love is mostly uh, referred to as a rather worldly love, such as the love between a couple or the love between parents and children or the love between brothers and sisters. And this kind of love, worldly love, is mostly tainted by attachment, clinging or dependence or unspoken expectations. Metta, however, is completely free from attachment or clinging. It's free from dependence and it's also free from unspoken expectations. The love of metta or loving-kindness is not based on any conditions. And so we could say metta is unconditional love. Or as my teacher, Jamie Sayado, or Sayado Ujanaka, um, put it, he said, love is attachment, whereas metta is detachment. Metta, or loving kindness, is a mental state that can be developed and cultivated through practice. It is a completely selfless and pure mental state which wishes for the welfare of ourselves and others and which is greatly beneficial in this life 
or in the existences to come. And through the development of loving-kindness or metta, the mind is also free from dosa, which means mental states like aversion, hatred, anger, or ill-will. So, as I mentioned before, metta is also free from attachment, clinging, which is uh, loba. Therefore, when metta is fully developed, the mind is free from loba and dosa. And when the mind is free from loba and dosa, this is the natural state of the mind. As I said, metta is the development of those, uh, that mental state which wishes for the welfare and benefit of all living beings. And this means it includes every sentient being in our wish for happiness and peace. And this wish is not based on any conditions. Our heart is truly open and we do not distinguish or discriminate beings. And so when we practice um, metta meditation, it means that we have to develop this quality in our heart and mind, taking other beings, other persons as the object of our metta meditation. Here we should be clear about the fact that metta or loving-kindness meditation does not mean that we send our metta, our loving-kindness to the other person or to other beings in order to make them happy and peaceful. We do not try to send or channel anything to anything, uh, anybody else. But by taking another person or other living beings as the object of our metta meditation, we try to develop, cultivate and strengthen this quality of loving-kindness, of friendliness in ourselves. So, when we talk about metta, we should be carefully choosing the words as not to direct meditators or other people into the wrong direction. It has become quite common to say sending metta to another person or to all sentient beings. But this can be a bit, can be a bit misguiding because it's not done with the aim that we send our metta to the other person and then the other person sort of gets it and all of a sudden is happy and peaceful. If we develop and cultivate metta in our heart and mind, then it will gradually become stronger and more powerful. And then when it's fully developed, then the mind itself is metta, or the heart itself is radiating metta into the near 
and for environment. We don't have to do anything, but just by the power of the meta, it's radiating uh, itself. This can be compared with a fire. The nature of a fire is radiating heat. So if we have just a small fire, then we have to go quite close in order to feel the warmth or the heat from the fire. However, if we have a huge fire, then we cannot go even near because the heat is so strong that we can feel it from quite a distance. And so it's the same with the metta. When a person has developed the quality of loving-kindness to a strong and powerful degree, then the mind and the heart, they will just radiate metta. But with this I don't want to say that metta cannot have beneficial effects on other persons or beings. Quite in the contrary, when a person's metta is strong and powerful, it has uh, quite great and sometimes even unexpected effects or benefits um, for other beings. But what I want to stress here is the fact that metta bhavana or the practice of metta meditation is the development of loving-kindness, friendliness in ourselves. When we engage in the practice of metta meditation, it is important that we know what metta or loving-kindness actually means or is, so that we can direct the mind into that direction or in, in the direction of those qualities which need to be developed and cultivated. So the spirit of metta is the wish for the welfare and well-being of all sentient beings. It's never a wish for something harmful. In the spirit of metta, we always work for the benefit of other sentient beings. We never work in order to inflict suffering or to create uh, unhappiness. And the spirit of metta is always cool, peaceful and refreshing. Metta is never hot or burning like a fire. And this can actually be experienced by a person who practices metta meditation. When the feeling of metta loving-kindness becomes really strong and genuine, then the mind will feel cool, peaceful. And then from the mind it also affects the body. And even the body will feel cool and refreshed, very peaceful. So meditators uh, can experience it as if a cool breeze is blowing. Even if they are sitting in a hot room, 
For them, it feels like a cool breeze is blowing and cooling down their body. Or other meditators uh, can experience it as if all of a sudden the aircon is turned on in the room that they are sitting. Some meditators experience this coolness or freshness from inside the body and it's like that this freshness, this coolness is permeating the whole body and they can feel so cold that they want to put around a blanket. (laughs) The spirit of metta is always gentle and soft. It's never harsh or rough. And in the spirit of metta, one always looks at the good side of things or persons. One never looks for fault. One never looks for the bad side of anything. The spirit of metta is always forgiving. It's not oppressing. And in the spirit of metta, we do not have uh, grudges. In the spirit of metta, we always work for the benefit of others. We never work for our own selfish benefit. And lastly, the spirit of metta is free from entanglement. The spirit of metta is always free or uh, independent. Metta meditation or metta bhavana is one of the 40 objects that the Buddha mentioned for samatha meditation or calm meditation. And it is part of the divine abidings or the heavenly abidings. They are also known as the four Brahma Viharas and they include metta, karuna, mudita, and upeka, which are loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Metta meditation can be practiced in order to reach the jhanas. The jhanas are states of deep concentration during which the mind is very calm and still not wavering and resting one-pointedly on the object of meditation. And so, when the mind is deeply concentrated, the meditator feels happy, peaceful, or uh, experiences great bliss. So, tranquility meditation, concentration meditation, can give temporary peace, bliss and happiness but this type of meditation doesn't have the power to uproot the defilements or eradicate the sources of our unsatisfactoriness and suffering. Metta meditation can also be practiced just for the sake of developing 
this quality of the heart and mind without aiming at the jhanas. Although the aim of metta meditation is different from the aim of vipassana meditation, metta meditation can greatly support and enhance our vipassana meditation. With the practice of vipassana meditation, we come to realize the impersonal nature of all conditioned phenomena and so we come to see through the misconception that there is a solidly existing I, me, self or ego. So therefore we can see through the misconception of this I or me being the center of the universe. With the practice of metta meditation, however, we come to realize that there is actually no I or me or ego that is separated from other beings. That means we come to realize that we are actually connected with every other living being. So, therefore, we come to see that there is no difference between me and others. So, when we develop metta, and as I mentioned before, when loving-kindness is developed, at that time the mind is free from loba, greed, attachment, and the mind is also free from dosa, aversion, hatred or resentment. And therefore, when we deal with other persons, we will fall less prey to react with these unwholesome mental states of loba or dosa. So, the freer the mind becomes, the more it is pervaded with thoughts of loving-kindness, the less we will fall prey to this obscuration and react in unwholesome ways. So the practice of metta-meditation can be a great support and a helpful tool in our vipassana meditation practice. On one side, it can greatly reduce the burning fires of the defilements of loba and dosa. And on the other hand, with metta, we develop and strengthen um, our patience and tolerance. And as a result, our minds will more easily calm down and become clear and therefore pave the ground for insight to arise. So as we know, metta is the benevolent attitude of the heart and mind, wishing every living being to be happy and well. So when we practice metta meditation, we have to develop this genuine wish by repeatedly saying in our minds a phrase like, may all beings be well 
happy and peaceful. May all beings be well, happy and peaceful. Just as we did this afternoon. And when we do that, we have to make sure that we do not repeat this sentence mechanically, like a mantra, our mind being somewhere else. But we have to make sure that we stay with the meaning of these words. And we have to make sure that this wish comes from the depth of our heart, not only our lips reciting it. And so, with the repeated practice of loving-kindness, then the feeling of loving-kindness or goodwill towards other living beings will gradually uh, become uh, stronger, more powerful. And when it's fully developed, it will permeate our whole um, heart and mind. And with that, uh, also our bodies. And then it will radiate into the near and far environment. Let me illustrate this with an example that happened a few years ago when Jamie Sayadaw or Sayadaw Ujanaka was in Canada. Apparently at that time some people invited him to a bookshop where he could choose any books that he wanted. And as he was in that bookshop looking through books, um, a woman, middle-aged woman with a fair complexion, walked into the bookshop and then she stood still not very far away from where Chami Sayadaw was. And only after a short while, she went up to Chamiye Sayadaw and said to him, Venerable Sir, please allow me to stand near you. Uh, standing next to you, I feel happy and peaceful in body and mind. You know, I have been sick for many, many years, and it's a long time that I have felt calm, peaceful, and happy in body and mind. And so, Chamiye Sayadaw allowed her to be next to her. He said, yes, please, stand next to me. And after that, he continued to look through a great um, range of different books. And after about one hour, it seemed that the woman was getting a bit embarrassed, and so she walked up to Jamie Sayado again, and with her hands held up in Anjali, she said to Jamie Sayado, Thank you so much for the peace and happiness that you have given to me. I've never experienced such a degree of happiness and peace in my whole life. And with these words, she turned around and walked out of the bookshop. Jamie Sayado apparently commented on this incident by saying that this happened because he practices metta meditation every day. 
As a result of his strong and genuine, powerful metta, this woman could experience peace and happiness in her body and mind. In response to the strength and power of a person's metta, the beings who come uh, in contact or who come near that person will be able to feel some peace and happiness. This is just natural. This is just the way it is. There are different ways of practicing metta meditation. Besides practicing loving-kindness for all living beings, we also can practice it for a specific person or being or for a specific group of persons or beings. But traditionally, when we start developing metta, we should develop metta for ourselves first. When we are honest to ourselves, we have to admit that all we want is happiness and peace. And this is a basic wish that can be found in every living being. So only when we come to understand and acknowledge that our deepest yearning is to attain happiness and peace, can we know and understand that other beings are not different from us in this regard. They also, they want happiness and peace. So then, uh, on the basis of this understanding, it's easier to open up our heart and develop genuine thoughts of loving-kindness for other living beings. And so, we do not make our metta dependent uh, on their on their deeds or on what religion they belong to or what race they belong to or what sex they are but then our metta can become truly unconditional so therefore we should start developing loving kindness for ourselves and this can be done with a phrase like may I be well, happy and peaceful may I be well, happy and peaceful and so we keep repeating this wish for ourselves silently in our mind and do it until this heartfelt wish for our well-being and happiness becomes strong and only then do we switch to other beings and so we can make the bridge from ourselves to others saying in the same way as I want to be well, happy and peaceful may all beings be well, happy and peaceful and after that we would just continue with wishing other beings to be well and peaceful Being honest to ourselves 
all we want is to be treated nicely. So therefore, we should treat other beings nicely as well. Or in the same way as we want to be respected, we should respect any other living creature. Or in the same way as we don't want to be killed, so no other living beings wants to be killed. Metta is born in the lap of consideration for ourselves and others. Or loving kindness springs from a heart of sympathy and care for ourselves and others. In the beginning of our metta practice, we find it easier to develop loving kindness to certain persons than it is to other persons. For persons we feel close to or for persons we respect, it's definitely easier to develop thoughts of loving kindness. But for persons we do not like or if we even have, if we hate persons, then it's definitely not very easy to develop thoughts of loving-kindness, at least not in the beginning of the practice. And this is also um, quite natural, and therefore we are told to develop metta in a systematic way. In the Visuddhimagga, which is written, was written by Venerable Buddha Gosa, the persons or beings are divided into four categories depending on the relationship we have with them. And these four categories are, first of all, it's the category of persons we respect or venerate. Then the second category is the very dear or beloved persons. The third category is the so-called neutral persons. And the fourth category is persons we do not like or our enemies. So, therefore, we should base our metta practice on the sequence of these four categories. It's easiest to develop thoughts of loving-kindness towards a person we greatly respect or venerate. If we would start practicing metta to a person whom we dislike or whom we even hate, then we will most likely just get tied up or get very angry and then we might conclude that this practice doesn't work. But if we base our metta meditation practice on the sequence of these four categories, then we can gradually develop and strengthen loving-kindness, and in the end, it will be possible to have metta or loving-kindness even to our worst enemy. I think it's important to note that with the practice of loving-kindness, we do not approve of or accept unwholesome deeds that somebody 
has done or is doing to us. Having metta for a certain person doesn't mean that when that person has emotionally hurt us or if that person has inflicted suffering on our body, it doesn't mean that we say that that act was right or justified. But having thoughts of loving-kindness means that we do not close our mind for, uh, to that person. And it means that we do not react in our habitual way, which would most likely be with anger or aversion, resentment or ill will. With metta, we actually can see more clearly and then we will not fall into the trap of aversion or hatred. So we just try to see this other person as another living being who wants nothing else but happiness and peace. So as I said before, pure and genuine metta is not dependent on any circumstances or conditions. When we have genuine metta, we do not select the beings towards whom we develop metta according to what they have done to us or what they don't have done to us. So our ability to truly love or to have uh, loving kind, feelings of loving kindness, this ability must be truly limitless and boundless. To illustrate this boundless metta, there are uh, a number of stories to uh, be found in the scriptures. For example, there are the stories of the Bodhisattva, the Buddha-to-be, in his previous existences. For example, when he was the hermit Kantivadi, or in in another life, he was the little prince Dhammapala. In both of those existences, the Bodhisattva was very cruelly treated. He was tortured. His limbs, his arms, his hands, his nose and ears were cut off. But the Bodhisattva didn't show any signs of anger or hatred or ill will towards those who were ill-treating him. His heart just was filled with thoughts of loving-kindness and it didn't diminish, diminish at all. So these stories might well known, be well known to some of you or otherwise you can go and read it in the books. At this place I would like to tell you another little meta story which happened a few years ago in Burma. After having stayed for more than three years in the main center in Yangon, a branch was opened um, about one hour north of Yangon. 
in a place where there were lots of trees. And so we call it the forest center. And Jami Sayadaw, he sent me out there to take care of the foreigners who uh, come to meditate and also to act as a translator. And in the forest center, the accommodation is in little kutis, which has two rooms and attached bathroom and shower. And these kutis are built among the trees, many trees. And quite from the beginning, when I and my Burmese friend Mimi moved there, um, every now and again there would be squirrels or maybe even rats and mice running uh, on top of our roof. And the roofs are made from tin sheets. So having them running across was quite noisy. And so that happened every now and again. So we got used to it. But then at one stage, um, it got much worse. And especially in the evenings, it seemed like a big army of squirrels and rats and mice. They were running across the roof and they even came inside the roof and then they were also running on the ceiling. And so they were running, running back and forth and screaming and making other noises. Uh, and it was in the evening and it was so loud, so noisy, that it was almost impossible to fall asleep. Well, they were having a great time up there, having a party or whatever. And that um, was also the case the next uh, the next few days. And so after a few days, one morning, I stepped outside of the kuti and looked up and I realized that quite many branches from the trees were quite near to the roof or even touching the roof. And so I thought by cutting some of the branches, uh, it wouldn't be so easy for them to run across the roof. And so I went to Sayato Uindaka, who was the abbot and resident teacher, and I told him what was happening, and I asked him to send some worker, a man, to cut some of the branches of the trees. And he just looked at me and said, no, you're not cutting the branches, but in the evening, when they start to get so noisy, then you should practice metta meditation inside your kuti. <laughs> practice metta for all the squirrels, rats and mice, or whatever beings might be there. I was a bit disappointed first, <laughs> but then I said that I was going to do it. And so then, in the evening, when they started to be boisterously running across and screaming, and so I sat down in the kuti and started to develop loving-kindness to the squirrels, the rats, the mice, or whatever beings might be there. And 
I just try to have genuine metta for them. May you all be well and happy. May you be peaceful. And I kept doing it, doing it, doing it. And then, after some time, they weren't so noisy anymore. They were getting quieter. Not screaming so much anymore. Not running so much across the ceiling and the roof. And towards the end, it was getting quite quiet. Not completely quiet. Occasionally, one of them would run across. But it was definitely quite a big difference. And so then, the next two (coughs) evenings, I did it again. Again, in the beginning, they would be very noisy, very loud. But as I was practicing metta, it would get quieter, calmer. And so then after three days, I went back to Sayadaw Oindaka and told him that I had practiced metta meditation and told him the results. And he just looked at me, nodded his head a little bit, a faint smile on his face, and after that he said, Now you can cut the branches of the tree. (laughs) Sometimes when we engage in metta meditation and we are not getting to develop thoughts of loving kindness, when we are getting caught in thoughts of anger or aversion or ill will or such kind of aversive thoughts, then we should reflect about the dangers of dosa and we should reflect about the benefits of patience or tolerance. And when we reflect about the dangers of dosa, aversion, hatred, ill will or anger, we we should bear in mind that this is an unwholesome mental state which makes us greatly suffering. And when we are overcome by dosa, our mind, we will not be able anymore to distinguish between what is good or bad or what is wholesome or unwholesome. And in the scriptures, It's also said that if we are overcome by dosa, um, if we die in such a state, then that will lead to an unfortunate rebirth. It's also said that when we are getting angry as a response of somebody else being angry, then it's actually us who are even uh, baser or more uh, despicable. It's also said that when a person is very often angry, that that person will be aging faster and that the facial expression will become ugly or unsightly. And it's even said that a person who has an angry temperament, 
And when that person is reborn in the next existence, that, that person's facial expression will be ugly. So, if we reflect about some of the dangers of dosa, we should be able to let go of these angry thoughts and therefore we should be able to continue with our practice of loving-kindness. However, if we cannot overcome our thoughts of dosa with reflecting on the dangers of dosa, then we should reflect on the benefits of patience or tolerance. And in Pali, this is called kanti. So, patience (coughs) or tolerance means that we do not retaliate with strong anger when somebody shouts at us, when somebody scolds us, when somebody hurts us, or when somebody tortures us. It is said in the scriptures, if we have patience, then we will be loved by many people. And if we are patient, then at the time of death, our mind is not confused. And so we will not be reborn in an unfortunate uh, existence. So, with this reflection of the benefits of patience, we should be able to overcome our uh, angry thoughts and then continue with metta. However, if that still uh, doesn't overcome our dosa, then it is that we should do an analytical reflection. And this is done in the following way. So, when we are angry at a certain person or being, then we should ask ourselves with what or at what we are actually angry with. And so, we can do that in terms of the 32 parts of that person. So, then we ask ourselves, are we angry at the hair of the head of that person? Or are we angry at the skin of that person? Are we angry at the kidney of that person? And so on. Or we could do it on the base of the aggregates. So, are we angry at the aggregate of materiality of that person? Or are we angry at the aggregate of feelings? Etc. Or we could base it on the elements which can be found in the body. So we can ask, are we angry at the earth element of that person? Or are we angry at the wind element of that person? So, when we do this kind of analytical um, reflection, then we come to see that there is actually nothing solid or permanent upon which we can base our anger. Or, in the same way as there is no solid surface in the sky to hang a picture, so there is no solid substance or entity that we can base 
our dosa. The benefits of the practice of loving-kindness medication are uh, manifold and sometimes they can even be unexpected. In the scriptures, in the Visuddhimagga, we have 11 benefits mentioned that can be attained by the practice of metta meditation. I will just mention these 11 benefits. The first benefit is that we can fall asleep happily. The second benefit is waking up happily. And the third benefit is not having bad dreams, not having nightmares. Then the next benefit is we will be loved by human beings. And the fifth benefit is we will be loved by non-human beings. Another benefit is we will be protected by the devas. And another benefit is we will be protected from dangers caused by fire, weapons or poisons. The next benefit is we will be able to concentrate our minds easily. And another benefit is our facial expression will be clear and serene. The tenth benefit is that at the time of death our minds will be calm and peaceful so we will not die in a bewildered state of mind. And the last and eleventh benefit is that if we are not already an arahant or fully enlightened then we will be reborn in the Brahma realm. <clears throat> in the book about the practice of metta meditation by Sayadaw Oindaka, which I have translated into English and also into German, there is the following uh, story which I'd like to share with you. And we have to imagine that this story is taking place in Burma. One morning, when a woman stepped outside of her house in order to hang up some laundry in the backyard, she came across three elderly men sitting in her garden. She had never seen these men, but because they were elderly and because one should be respectful to elder persons, she approached them and said to them, Good morning. Um, it seems that I've known you from before. Um, wouldn't you like to come inside and have some tea and some latte? That's a traditional Burmese snack made from fermented tea leaves together with some fried peanuts, onions and other kinds of beans. But as soon as she had uh, said that, then one of the men asked, is your husband still at home or has he gone out? And so the woman said that he had already left uh, for work. And to that, the man replied, in that case, it wouldn't be possible for the man to come inside. 
and his answer seemed to be definite and so the woman didn't say anything anymore and she just left the three men there and she continued to do her work. Then in the evening when her husband returned home she told him everything that had happened and out of compassion for these three men the husband told his wife to go and see if they were still sitting in the garden and if they were to invite inside the house. So the woman went back out into the backyard and still the three old men were sitting there and so she told them that her husband had uh, come home and that they were invited inside the house. But then one of the men said that it wasn't possible for all the three of them to enter the house. He said only one of them could enter the house. And with that he pointed to the second man and said his name is Odana. Then he pointed to the third man and said his name is Boaunain. And lastly he pointed towards himself and said and my name is Bo Meta. Please go and tell your husband the, our names and then he should, should decide which one of us he wants to invite into the house. And again he stressed the fact that they couldn't come uh, inside the house altogether. <coughs> so the woman went back into, inside the house and told her husband what they said. And as soon as the husband heard the three names, he jumped up happily and saying, well, then let's invite Odana, because Dana uh, means wealth, prosperity. Dana, uh, the Pali word, written as D-H-A-N-A, not Dana like generosity, which is D-A-N-A. So if we invite Bodhana, then we will have um, wealth and abundance in our house. But then the wife said, well, I think we should invite Bo Aunain. Aunain is a Burmese word and it means um, to be successful or to conquer or to win. And Bo is also a Burmese word and it means grandfather, but it's also used as a respectful term to address an elderly man. So the wife said, let's invite Bo Aunain, then we will be successful, then we uh, will be successful in everything we undertake and if we are successful then we will also become rich. But after that the daughter who sat in a corner of the room and who had overheard the conversation she said well I think we should invite Bo Meta then our whole house 
will be permeated with the nice scent of metta. And when there is metta in our house, we will be able to live in peace and abundance. After the father had heard these words, he said, well, what our daughter has said is also quite good and reasonable. So, to his wife, so go outside and tell them that we will invite Po Meta into our house. And so the woman went back again and told the three men that the family had decided to invite Po Meta. And with that, Po Meta immediately stood up and started to walk towards the house. But then the two other men also immediately uh, stood up and walked behind Bomita. The wife was uh, very much surprised because the man had told her very clearly that it wasn't possible for all the three of them to enter. And so she told them, but we only have invited Bomita. Why? is now Bo Ao Nine and Bo Dana also, also walking towards the house. Or how is it possible for um, all of the three to enter the house? And in response to her question, the three elderly men, they answered all together simultaneously, saying, if you had invited either Bo Dana or Bo Ao Nine, then the other two had, would have waited outside. However, you have invited Bo Meta. Now, listen well and listen attentively. Whenever the virtuous quality of Meta is present, then success and wealth are also close at hand, and all aspects of life will unfold accordingly. Remember this well for the rest of the life. So that's that little Burmese meta story. So the refuge that can be experienced by a meta meditator is similar to the delightful rest in a big and shady tree at the side of a road. Imagine such a huge shady tree which stands beside of a road and imagine the travelers who had been walking on the hot dusty road feeling tired and exhausted if they would go and take rest in the cool shade of this large tree they very soon would feel cool, peaceful, and rested. And so, similarly, we can feel peaceful and cool when we live our lives in the shade of metta. When we live in the shade of metta, all aspects of our life will definitely unfold much more smoothly, be that 
in worldly matters or be it in spiritual matters. A few years ago, when I was teaching a Vipassana retreat in Switzerland, we also practiced some metta meditation. And after the retreat, I got um, a letter from one of the participants confirming the manifold and even unexpected benefits of metta. He wrote that in his house up in the Alps, in the, uh, the mountains of the Swiss Alps, um, there were always many flies. And so when he sat down in order to practice meditation, the flies would be bothering him, uh, flying around his head. And um, having been here in Australia, I think <laughs> those flies are not as bad <laughs> as Australian flies. But bad enough. And so being bothered by the flies, um, he started to practice metta meditation. And he said, after some time, after his metta got um, quite powerful and strong, the flies, they just started to bother him. And so then he could uh, meditate peacefully and happily. And he said, whenever he would sit down to practice meditation, he just would sit under the umbrella of metta, and with that, the flies wouldn't bother him. And he even added a second example, saying that the martens, they love to bite the wires of the car. And so then in the morning, when he wanted to start the car, the car wouldn't start because these martens apparently they like to bite the, the wires. And again, he started to uh, develop meta towards these little creatures, towards these martens. And he said um, that they stopped biting his wires. Sometimes in the morning, uh, going out, and getting into the car, he still would see the footprints of the Martins uh, on his car, but the car was fine. No problem, he could start it. And only last month I was teaching in Germany, in the Meta Vihara, and we also made Meta part of the practice. And as I mentioned this example, one of the yogis, she came the other day and told me that with her the same thing happened and Meta also worked for her martins. And she said she not only practiced Meta for them, she said she even wrote a love letter to the martins and put it into the car. <laughs> already more than an hour. <laughs> you still have patience for five minutes? Mm -hmm. It's okay? Because I just want to add 
the story on how the Metta Sutta came into existence, like when the Buddha first taught the Metta Sutta. A group of monks, they went in search for a place to practice meditation during the Vasa, during the rainy season, and so they settled in a forest and thought that was a good uh, place to spend Vasa. But not long after they had settled in there and started practicing, they were haunted by frightening visions and sounds because that forest was inhabited by devas, by forest devas, and with the arrival of the monks, they didn't dare to stay any longer on the trees. So they came down from the trees and walked around aimlessly. First they thought the monks would only stay for a few days and then move on. But when they realized that the monks were not going to leave very soon, that's when they started to make these frightening visions and sounds. And as a result, the monks were scared, it broke their concentration, and they decided that it wasn't a good place to spend Vasa. So they went back to where the Buddha was staying and asked him to tell them a better place where it would be more conducive to practice meditation. But then the Buddha told them that that forest was actually the best place for them to practice meditation and that they should go back to that forest. But the monks pleaded with the Buddha and said, oh no, please don't send us back to that forest. It's so scary there. But then the Buddha said, well, the first time when you went there, you didn't have a weapon to protect yourself. This time, I will give you a weapon. And then the Buddha taught them the Metta Sutta and taught them how to practice Metta meditation. So then the monks didn't dare to contradict the Buddha's wishes. And so, uh, having the weapon of metta, they went back to that forest. And already on their way, they were practicing metta meditation. And so when they arrived at that forest, the three devas, they felt the monks' loving kindness. And so, they weren't hostile anymore to the monks, but they welcomed the monks and for the time the monks are practicing meditation there, they even uh, protected the monks from other harmful things or obstacles. And so it is said that the monks, um, having based their <coughs> meditation on the practice of loving-kindness, that practicing three months, the during Vasa, that by the end of Vasa, they all had become Arahants. They all had become fully enlightened. So, Metta is without doubt a very powerful and wholesome force 
that always can be relied upon. We can rely upon it for protection. Life is definitely much nicer when we spend it in the cool and refreshing shade of Metta rather than walking on a hot hot and dusty road scorched by the fires of greed, attachment, aversion or ill will. So may all of you be able to develop strong and powerful metta and on the base of this realize the true nature of all things and become fully liberated from all defilements. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.